Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, May the 6th, 2022. It is currently 6.25 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where currently it's 102 degrees outside. Yes, summer has arrived in full force here in West Texas. Tomorrow, I think between 104 and 107, the same for Sunday. It is hot outside, and as many of you know, I broadcast, or recently I've started broadcasting, as I sometimes say, two stories above a street in Abilene, Texas, which means I'm broadcasting from a second floor room here in my home. I used to broadcast just all the time from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located in the middle of nowhere, Texas, or to be specific, Ovalo, Texas. That's wonderful. That's great. It's a wonderful setup, but I have to pack everything up, drive 20 minutes, then set everything up there, and then drive 20 minutes back when gas prices are, you know, at $27 a gallon. That just becomes, you know, and you do as many live broadcasts as I do, that just becomes a little bit like, man, that's a lot. That's a lot of money for gasoline. So I I started broadcasting here from the second story room of my home. It works wonderful, but when it's as hot as it is outside, well, I can't, it, it gets really hot up here. It gets really hot up here. Now I have a window unit behind me, which works wonderful. It keeps this room very nice and cold. The only problem is when I go live, I have to turn it off because to me, it makes too much noise and it kind of just, it, it just makes the broadcast sound very unprofessional. So this is going to be our first live broadcast where it's 102 degrees outside and we'll see what's going to happen before this is over. Now it's hot outside. Now I got, I got to somehow fit that in to some kind of opening illustration. It is hot outside and it's probably going to get very hot with controversy as a result of this broadcast. Now we're going to be dealing with a subject that we've talked about a lot but it still angers a lot of people. A lot of people get extremely frustrated, but I think it's a subject that must be discussed, and I think many Christians need to be challenged on how they think about it, because I believe some Christians, inadvertently, without even knowing it, have adopted ideas that really are absolutely antithetical, absolutely opposed to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. They they would tell you, no, I believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. They would, they would tell you that's what we believe, but they hold these ideas that really contradict a gospel of uh, a gospel of grace versus a gospel of works. They would tell you, no, it doesn't. But if they would be honest with themselves, it really does. But we're going to begin this way. Are you ready? Here we go. I'm going to ask you a question. Are you really a Christian? Are you really a Christian? Now, most people listening will, will, now we have people who aren't Christians who listen, but anyone who professes to be a Christian, they're, they're probably going to give me a very dogmatic answer. Like, absolutely, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I put my trust in Christ and they're going to be very dogmatic. Yes, I am. But are you really a Christian? 
Let me state it a different way. How do you know you are a Christian? Now, this is where the temperature begins to rise. This is where controversy begins to build. Because there are really two basic systems that tell you how to answer this question. How do you know you are a Christian? There's basically two ways that you're going to find within Christianity uh, and how to answer this question. I'm not saying that there aren't others, but I'm saying there's two basic ways that most within the non-Catholic Protestant world is going to look at it, okay? Some, obviously, in other traditions, but we're going to say within the non-Catholic world, right? Because I reject Catholicism, obviously. And the non-Catholic world, there's basically two ways people would answer this question. How do you know you're a Christian? Are you really a Christian and how do you know? Here's your two ways. One, which is very popular within the evangelical world, and I think many Christians just accept this almost by default, they will say something like this. I know I'm a Christian because I do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, N, Z. They're going to point to what they do. They may say, but there's there are tests to prove that you are a Christian. And if you pass these tests, that's how you know you're saved. So their assurance is based on what they do. Now, they may claim that they do these things because of God's work in them, but still they are looking to their actions, their attitudes, the things they do and the things they don't do to prove that they are a Christian. And many people who put that idea forth obviously believe that they pass the test. They believe that they do enough that is sufficient to pass the test. That's that's the most popular way of answering this question. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, here's the test, and I pass it. Another side would say, no, 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 no. no. You don't look to what you do You look to what Christ did. You don't look to your work. You look to his finished work. And they would argue something like this. You can't look to the work you do because we are not saved by our works. We are saved by grace through faith. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, his obedience, his work, his righteousness is imputed to us. So I cannot look to practical righteousness to prove that I have been declared righteous because of an imputed righteousness, because an imputed righteousness is not designed to produce the practical righteousness. It just declares me to be perfectly righteous and holy. If I'm going to look to practical righteousness, if I'm going to look to my works, then I wouldn't believe in a salvation by an imputed righteousness. I would have to believe in a salvation by an infused righteousness. And that's Roman Catholicism, which we reject. We are not saved by an infused. We are saved by an imputed. So if I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, then my salvation, I know I'm saved because of what Christ did, not because of what I do, because what I do could never be proof that I have, that God has imputed the righteousness of Christ to me. That's, it's a legal declaration declaring me to be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy because of Christ's righteousness being accredited to my account. 
doesn't make me righteous in practice. I'm still a sinner, but but in practice, but in my position, I'm a saint, I'm a, I'm a faithful servant, I am holy, I am righteous, I'm obedient, I'm a new creature, old things have passed away, all things have become new. That is all true of my position and my practice, the sinful nature still exists. So not all things have become new. The sinful nature still exists. So clearly not all the old things are gone. I'm still a sinner who will still sin. And so you either, you, that's, that's the two ways you're going to look at it. How do I know I'm saved? Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Some will say, no, how do I know I'm saved? Based off what you do. And they will probably give you some kind of a test that supposedly proves that you are saved or not saved. We have been talking about this over the last, over, it's really, it's been, we've been talking about this for years, but recently we did, uh, let's see, two podcasts drawing the distinction between law and grace. We did two podcasts drawing a distinction between our position and our practice. We we did a series of studies in First John because everyone says that's the test book. And we I think we're clearly able to demonstrate, if you look at it from a historical textual perspective, that First John is a polemic against Gnosticism first and foremost, and that it deals with fellowship versus relationship. My relationship is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ. My fellowship is based off what I do. Nothing can change my relationship, or I should say my relationship is based off the finished work of Jesus Christ. My fellowship is based off what I do or don't do. Nothing can change my relationship because it's based off the finished work of Christ. My fellowship can constantly change and I can fall out of fellowship or be in close fellowship based off what I do. We've discussed all of these concepts, but I wanted to just take turn on the microphone this evening and just add a little bit to this because I someone sent me a video. They didn't give me any information. <laughs> they didn't say a word. They just sent me the video, and the video is entitled, Are You Really a Christian? Oh, okay. So I... I don't know what's in this video because you know what I love to do. I love to do my reactions and review in real time. Sometimes that makes me look like a genius. Sometimes it makes me look like an idiot because I really don't know what's getting ready to happen, but it makes it hopefully fun and organic because it's just like, oh, we're going to sit, you know, it's like you drove by, you walk into my house. He's, what are you doing? Wait a second. I just got an email. Oh, wow. Someone just sent me a video entitled, are you really a Christian? You want to watch it together? Sure. And so we grab something to drink, like right here. I got a bottle of water. I'm like, let's sit down. Let's grab a notebook. Let's grab a Bible. Let's watch this together. So we're, we're not going to watch it. We're going to listen to it because I grabbed the audio from it. I have no idea what's in it. I have no idea. I don't know what or how they're going to answer this question. I don't. I have no idea what what's about to happen. But we're going to find out together because it just fits in perfectly with all of those things I just talked about. How do you know you're a Christian? Most, I think most evangelicals say it's based on what you do, which completely destroys the idea that I'm saved by an imputed righteousness. That would be very much the way a Catholic would answer it because in Catholicism, your, self, your justification is based off an infused righteousness, which you must cooperate with, right? 
and you work and you work and hopefully you'll die in a state of grace. Then you go to purgatory to have all of the remaining sin purged from you so you can finally, in a sense, get into heaven. Now, evangelicals have removed the purgatory concept and they, we say that we've rejected the infused righteousness concept, but then we turn around and go, how do you know you save? Well, your salvation is based off what is your, it's proven by what you do. It's proven by what you do, but they never answer the question, how can a pract- how can my practice prove imputed righteousness? I'm in, I'm declared 100% righteous by faith. Okay, now I I should, and, and I remember how I've defined the Christian life. The Christian life is the never-ending, impossible task of seeking to live out in practice what is true of me positionally. I will never do it perfectly. It will always fall short because God's standards are perfection. I'm never going to be anywhere close to perfection. So then what people do is, well, here's the test, but you don't have to be perfect. So now you give me a test that's supposed to prove that I'm saved, but my imperfection in passing this test can still be sufficient to prove that I'm saved. So then you start saying, well, this is what you have to do, but you're not going to do it perfectly. So then it just becomes a very vague thing. And and it's interesting that most people who want to hand out the test, they love to hand out the test to everyone else so that they can determine who is saved around them, which is just majorly problematic because you don't know. If, 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 yeah, we, we could just go all day into to some of the problems here. But I want to hear this. And I think it will add to all of these discussions that we've been having. And so let me ask you again, are you really a Christian? How do you know? What are you trusting in? Now, you may argue with me all day. Fine, you trust in whatever you're trusting in. You ask me how I know I'm a Christian. It's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's his incarnation. It is his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And it's his it's his perfect righteousness being imputed to my account. It's his it's his passive and active obedience being imputed to my account. I am saved because of what Christ did. He did it. It's finished. That's how I'm saved. That's how I know I'm saved. I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I don't look at what I'm doing. I look at what Christ did. I don't look at what I'm trying to do. I look at what Christ completed perfectly. That's how I know I'm saved. A lot of Christians don't like that answer, and that's fine. You point people to some random test, and but I just say that if you're going to administer the test, be honest about your failure of that test, because I don't care what test you give, you're never going to score 100 I doubt, and just think, how, how does it work? Because God said, if we're guilty of one point of the, if we if we break one point of the law, we're guilty of all the law. So how does that work when you're constantly guilty of all points of the law? Because you are constantly breaking some point of the law. I mean, the, the commandments are are summarized and love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now there are Christians who pretend that they do that, but. They, they're lowering that standard in their mind to something that they can actually accomplish, which is just, is insane. My actions can never prove my salvation because God demands perfection 
and I'm always imperfect. But let's listen to this. Hopefully this will add to the discussion. I don't know. I don't know what's getting ready to happen. Are you really a Christian? Let's find out what this is. Here we go. Are you sure you are going to heaven? No, I mean, really, really, really sure. It's time for Wretched. Okay. So this is either from Wretched TV or Wretched Radio, which I think Wretched Radio is simply the audio version of the TV version, however it works. Wretched, you probably are familiar with it. So are you really, really sure that you're going to heaven? Are you really sure that you are saved? All right. Now, to me, it should be a very quick answer. (laughs) I know because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's see if they point us to the work of Christ or to what we do? Do they point us to what Christ did or what we're doing? I don't know which direction they're going to go. Let's find out. Here we go. There is no freedom without the law. It is imperative that you use God's principle. I actually go ghost hunting a lot. Yeah, have you found any? Yes. Really? Don't satisfy yourself, I think. It doesn't matter. All rules lead there anyway. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Wretched. My name is Todd Friel. I am your host with a bad elbow. The wretch the song refers to. Are you 100% beyond the shadow of a doubt certain that you are going to heaven? Let's take a little test, shall we? Todd, let's not. Oh, come on. The Bible says, examine yourself and see if you are in the truth. And Okay, so we're going to do the test. We're going to do the test concept. Now, he's he, he just made a reference to a scripture, and people um, pull this one out all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I think the, um, the featured sermon today on Sermons 2.0 is called Set Apart, and I think it's based off 2 Corinthians. Um, so it, you, could, you could go listen to that uh, as well. I don't know if they get to this verse, but the verse that a lot of people use is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith Examine yourselves, or do you, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Now, um, I don't know what version that is. I've got multiple Bibles here. Let me read it from uh, the King James, which I typically use in all my teaching. Second uh, Corinthians chapter thirteen, verse five. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now that's the go-to verse. Yes, I know it's there. There are differences of opinion on how to interpret that verse in church history. It's everyone just reads it like, well, that means I got to get it. What's the test? How do you know you're saved? You take a test. Okay. Again, I don't know how a test can prove that I am saved by an imputed righteousness because an imputed righteousness just declares me to be 100% righteous, 100% holy by faith, not by what I do. All the tests have has you looking to a practical righteousness to prove that you have been given, that you have been declared righteous because of Christ's imputed righteousness. That's the whole problem. The test idea would go more along with the idea of an infused 
righteousness, which is what Roman Catholicism taught and which the Protestant Reformation completely rejected. So, uh, we could, I could go all day into this. I remember, uh, I mean, I, for those who don't know, I, I went to a, I, I, after I'd been teaching, you know, for a while, preaching and teaching and decided, you know, that I, I get tired of hearing pastors and preachers, in many cases, speak of Roman Catholicism, and they sometimes demonstrate an ignorance of Roman Catholicism. They don't seem to quite understand what Roman Catholicism actually teaches. They They almost borrow from a a straw man argument. So I said, you know what? I'll, I'm going to enroll in a Catholic theo- a Catholic university and pursue a degree in Catholic theology so that when I speak on the subject of Catholicism, I can do with some level of actual knowledge and not just what everyone else says. And I'll re- never forget the, the discussion about this that, hey, many within the Protestant world they actually are teaching a better form of Catholicism than Catholics do. They, they're basically making an argument for an infused righteous justification, even though they claim they're not. They're literally contradicting themselves. And then I would, we, I would get into the discussion, and they would point out, and I would be like, well, that's true. They're like, you know, if it's an imputed righteousness— then you're, 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 the basis of your salvation is, is that imputed righteousness, not what you do. So how, do, how does a test prove an imputed? And I, it was like weird hearing it from a Catholic perspective going, what are you, pro, you're, you Protestants are making our argument for us. And I'm like, well, no, 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 I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing that. I believe in imputed righteousness. So it's going to be interesting. They're, they're going to go with the test concept and they're, they're basing it off, obviously, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We will do an episode where we work through a, a different interpretation of 2 Corinthians 13.5 and see if it actually works. It may not work, but we will at least consider one. But for now, let's see. The, obviously, this is going to be about a test. They're just going to give us a test. I pretty much know what's going to be on the test because I've read too many of these tests. But let's consider the test. Here we go. Based on the Bible, a fellow named John Piper, you know him, don't you, Mr. Desiring God? He found 15 15- 15 questions that we should ask ourselves to see if we are really believers. Let's. Okay, here we go. So we're going to go to John Piper, who supposedly found 15 questions that we have to use to examine ourselves. And then we look at these questions to determine if we are really saved. So the way we are, know we're saved, now ju- immediately just realize what this is pointing to. This is, I guarantee you, when you've got 15 questions, this is going to come down to what are you doing or what are you not doing? Your, the assurance of your salvation is going to be ba- based on if you pass the test, meaning that you can never have any true permanent assurance because at any point in time, you could go from passing the test to failing the test. And if you really think about it logically, Really, there's no guarantee of any assurance right now because who cares if I have assurance right now? doesn't mean I'm going to get to heaven. I got to get to the end of my life, then take the test and then look back and go, okay, over the last 15 to 20 years, however how long I've been saved, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, if I look at this test, did my life pass? The it doesn't matter if my life is passing the test now, because it's determined, unless I'm getting ready to die in 15 minutes, but it would be at the end of my life. So you really could not have any assurance. This would literally destroy the concept of assurance. 
Your Christian life would be a never-ending struggle and trying to pass the test. And I think what it leads to is we we put on fig leaves and and self-righteousness to convince ourselves that we're more righteous than we really are because we don't want to be fearful of failing the test. And then we cannot be open and honest with our struggles and with sin. And, and look, I mean, all you have to do is just look at news article after 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 news article about all the corruption and things happening in churches and just look at the things happening in the lives of Christian. There's broken marriages, there's domestic violence, there's child abuse, there's sexual sin. You just name it. There's, I mean, there's horrific things happening. And, and immediately, well, of course, what people some will say, well, they're not real Christians. They're not real Christians. They're not real Christians. Uh, right. I, because that's always the go-to answer if someone immediately does something that doesn't look right. We immediately throw them out of the body of Christ. We would have been there saying, David, you can't be a real Christian. Peter, you can't be a real Christian. Solomon, definitely you're thrown out. Abraham, what in the world were you doing with Hagar? You're out. We would just be throwing anyone and everyone out. And if we were open and honest, we would look in the mirror and throw ourselves out. But but we, we but somehow we always convince ourselves because we cover ourselves in some fig leaves. Hey, <laughs> look at me. I'm good to go. Yeah, no, because you can cover yourself in a whole wardrobe of fig leaves, of, of, of your own effort, your own actions, your own work, and your own self-righteousness. And the reality is, no. And, and I don't know how you could ever have any true assurance. You have to convince yourself you're better than you are. But I could be wrong. Maybe these are 15 reasonable questions that anyone can pass. But I, I just don't know. How do I know I'm saved? Let me see how I would answer it. The finished work of Jesus Christ. Not 15 different things, but here's 15. Let's listen to these 15. Here we go. Do that now, shall we? Test question number one. You do good stuff. James, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Make no mistake about it. This is not about work righteousness, doing stuff to get to heaven. Okay. Now, I love this. So the first one is you do good stuff. You do good stuff. Now, we've already worked on the book of James. And again, there's a lot of misunderstanding in how to handle it. But you do good stuff. And then immediately, no, no, no. This is not about a works righteousness. No, 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 no. It's not about a works righteousness. And they're getting ready to play a little game of semantics here. It's not about works righteousness. It's not that you work to be saved. It's you work because you're saved. Well, wait a minute. Well, let me think this through. Okay, so when so I'm, I don't receive an infused righteousness. I receive an imputed righteousness. And that imputed righteousness will result in a practical righteousness. And if I don't have enough practical righteousness, that proves I did not receive the imputed righteousness. So the proof of imputed righteousness is practical righteousness, but you're telling me I'm not working to get to heaven, but if I don't do enough good stuff, I'm not saved. You're you're just playing a game of semantics. You're just you're just it's just a a circular argument. No, 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 no. You're not working to get saved, but if you don't do enough work, you were never saved. Okay, so I've got to do the works in order to be saved, right? Yes. Okay, now, obvious question. How many works? Now, immediately what people will say, well, I mean, as long as there's some. Okay, like like what? Like what? Well, like, like what, what would be some good work? Tell me, would these be some good works? Let's see, would these be good works? Let me see if I can uh, find these. Oh, what if I prophesy or preach in the name of Christ? 
What if I cast out devils? What if I do many wonderful works? Would, would that be, would that be sufficient? Uh, well, Obviously, it wouldn't be because the people in Matthew 7, 22 who do all of those things, Jesus says, I profess unto you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. So clearly, that wouldn't be. So what would be the sufficient amount of work to, that I have to do to be able to say, I've done enough good stuff? Like, test number one is you do good stuff. Hey, hey, this is not works righteousness, but you better do good stuff. All right, I got to do good stuff. All right. So, um, what, what, what does it look like? What does it, does it, does it look like a, the good stuff maybe a Mormon could do? Does it look like the good stuff a Jehovah's Witness could do? Does it look like the good stuff maybe a Catholic who gives their entire life to, to, uh, live in a monastery or a convent who may be giving their life to feed the poor or help lepers or, or, uh, you know, what is it, is it, is it, is it that kind of good stuff? Well, no, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't prove it completely. And so then it becomes this very nebulous, vague thing. Let's see what else they say about this one. But because you've been forgiven and because you're going to heaven, you do good stuff. Are you? Are you doing good stuff? Are you doing? See, you, you do this because you're going to heaven. No, you just said it's a test. I'm doing this stuff to prove that I'm going to heaven. I'm not doing it because I'm going to heaven, because if I don't do this stuff, I'm not going to heaven. <laughs> it, it's like they say, here's the test. Do good stuff. That's test number one. But you're not doing it to get to heaven. You're doing it because you're going to heaven. But if I don't do enough good stuff, it proves I'm not going to heaven. So it means I would have to be doing the stuff in order to get to heaven. You can, you can change the wording all day and say, no, 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 you're doing it because you're going to heaven. But if I'm going to heaven, then I'm going to heaven whether I do this or don't do this because I'm going to heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, because I'm going to heaven, I should be motivated because of God's mercy, God's grace, out of gratitude and love to do good stuff. But you can't say that it's a test and then tell me I'm doing it because I'm going to heaven. No, I would be doing it in order to prove that I'm going to heaven. And if I don't do it, then I'm not going to heaven. So you can't say that I'm going to heaven because the only way I'm knowing I'm going to heaven is when I get to the end of my life to determine if I did enough good stuff. That, that it's, it's just maddening that Christians play such foolish word games. Just be honest. You better do enough good stuff or you don't go to heaven. All right, who gets to determine how much good stuff? How much, how much, how much? And people say, well, it's not perfection. Okay, okay. if it's not perfection, then how much good stuff must I do? And what if I do good stuff externally, but I have a bad attitude about the good stuff, that I'm doing the good stuff, but I'm not wanting to do the good stuff internally? Does that disqualify the good stuff I'm doing externally? Okay. Doing things that God asks you to do. Are you being obedient or are you kind of lazy when it comes to spiritual fruit? Number two. Oh, are you lazy? If you're lazy, the implication there, if you're lazy about doing good things, well, you're probably not going to heaven. You're probably not really a Christian. You're probably not really a Christian. 
I mean, that, this, I mean, I, I really feel like this, I really feel like this is basically the Protestant version of now make sure you don't commit a mortal sin because that will remove you from a state of grace. And then you got to get back in a, at least in the Catholic system, there's a whole system of what I have to do. Okay. Okay. Here's the mortal sins. Here's the venial sins, but commit a mortal sin. I'm no longer in a state of grace. Now I'll have to go through penance and I can earn indulgences. And there's a lot of things that at least there's a system in the Protestant world. It's like you're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. However, if you don't do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, you're not saved. And number one, you better do good stuff. And if you don't do good stuff or if you're lazy, you're probably not going to heaven. Hey, but you're saved by grace, but you better do works. Now, I, I believe that we should do works. Absolutely. And I believe, uh, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stop right there. Here, let, let's go to number two. The necessity of obedience. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So you're going to do everything that God tells you to do. There are lots of things that we are supposed to be about the business of. A first of which is not ending a sentence with a preposition. After that, there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing to be obedient because we are saved. Not to be saved, but to prove that we are saved. You're going to do everything God tells you to do. You're going to do everything God tells you to do. Do you hear how utterly insane that is? No, you're not going to do everything God tells you to do. I can prove it right now. The Bible says, be ye holy as he is holy. You haven't done it. You're not doing it. You will never be as holy as he is holy. Never, not even close. You will be holy as he is holy in your position because of the imputed righteousness, but not in your practice. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You will never do that perfectly anywhere. And imperfection means you're not doing what God tells you to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I doubt you're even doing that. Let's see, we could just go through, I mean, we could go through the entire Sermon on the Mount. I mean, anyone who reads the Sermon on the Mount, by the time you're done, you should realize that the Sermon on the Mount is simply giving you a deeper understanding of the law in order to condemn you, making you realize that you cannot be saved without grace. But many people will take the Sermon on the Mount and make it a test to prove whether you're saved. Insane. Nobody obeys the Sermon on the Mount anywhere close. Let me just give you a, a couple of examples here. Um, let me, I'll just give you one uh, let me see, which one do we want to go to? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Do you truly hunger and thirst after righteousness? Truly. All right. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. Do you truly have a pure heart? To say that you, that what proves your salvation is you do everything God tells you to do is the most ridiculous, disingenuous thing I've ever heard in my life because no one, anyone who's even remotely honest with themselves, you know what you're going to find out? Man, 
The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. I disobey God all the time. I demonstrate that I love the things of the flesh. I demonstrate that sometimes I don't have a desire for the things of God. I demonstrate that I'm selfish. I demonstrate that I'm ungodly. I demonstrate that I've got lust and and bad feelings and desires in my heart that sometimes I'm filled with bitterness and resentment and hate and hatefulness and vengeance and who just on and on and on and on and on and on. But see, we can't do that. We can't do that because this is the mentality of most evangelicals. Obedience. Do what God tells you. That's how you know you're saved. Okay, well, then you've got to, you've got to pretend that you're that way. You got to put on, you got to put on the fig leaves. You got to cover it up. You got to make it, you got to make everyone think that you're, and that's why we, Christian, it's so much about external performance art than anything real and genuine. That's not a salvation by an imputed righteousness. This is a salvation by a practical righteousness. Even though they say, no, 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 no. You don't do it to get saved. You do it to prove you're saved. But if I don't do it, then I'm not saved. Therefore, it's required for salvation. So you can't say it's not required for salvation. If I don't do it, I'm not saved. Meaning that salvation is by grace plus works. Because if I don't do the works, I'm not saved. And if you say that when you're saved, you will do the works, you're seemingly to imply that I received an infused righteousness, which no, I received an imputed, or I should say, an imputed righteousness was accredited to my account. This seems to just throw out the entire Protestant Reformation. We're going to do stuff in obedience. Number three, the necessity of Holiness, gulp, Hebrews 12, 14, Rexella, strive for peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, I completely agree. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Amen. Be ye holy as he is holy. This is where you have to draw the distinction between law and grace. Law gives me a demand which only grace can fulfill. I cannot fulfill the demands of the law. The law says, be ye holy. The law says, be ye obedient. The the law says, do good things. And I'm going to say, I can't, I can't, I can't. But in Christ, (laughs) all the good things Christ did, they're imputed to me. All of his obedience is imputed to me. His perfect holiness is imputed to me. So in my position, I do, I've done nothing but good things. I have been completely obedient and I'm perfectly holy. That's why we believe in a salvation by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness, because if I'm saved by an infused righteousness, then I would prove the reception of the infused righteousness by doing good things, being obedient, and being holy. This is literally the Protestant version of Roman Catholicism. If you're going to see God, you're holy, not perfect, but growing in holiness. You're becoming more. Now, wait a minute. He just said, be ye holy. So if you're going to see God, you have to be holy, but not perfect. Wait, wait, wait. When did holiness now become less than perfection? You see how he just, it's, it's bait and switch. You got to be holy, but, 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 but you're not going to be perfect. 
So now holy, so when God says, be ye holy as he is holy, he was not calling for perfection. He was simply calling for growing in holiness. No, no, no. It says be holy. It doesn't say grow in holiness. So now he just made the test holiness, but not perfection. The, the, the fact that he just referred to holiness as less than perfection would mean that God being holy doesn't mean that he's perfect because holiness is not perfection. How can you say that holiness is the test and that that is, doesn't mean perfection? That, oh my goodness gracious, I don't understand. Oh man. I don't even think Catholics would say that. I think they would acknowledge holiness means perfection, means without sin, other than, completely removed from. When we say God is holy, 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 we're not saying less than perfect, less than perfect, less than perfect. (laughs) It doesn't say without, it doesn't say those who are not growing in holiness will not see the Lord. Those who, who are who, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The, the, the command in scripture, be ye holy as he is holy. The demand is perfect holiness, which can, what the law demands, grace provides. It is provided in the imputed righteousness. That, that, Man, that is that that right there. I have a hard time now. He's moving so quick through these, but that that right there, everyone. I mean, that that is so poorly spoken that I don't even have words for it, right? Because how can you say you've got that the next test is to be holy and then say that doesn't mean perfection? That literally destroys the entire meaning of holiness. I'm gonna back that up just a little bit. Oh man, that. I'm just going to go way back. I'm going to go all the way back. I'm just going to go all the way back to like a minute, 55 seconds. So we can just hear a lot of this flow together because I know I'm breaking it up and breaking it up and breaking it up. I break it up for a lot of reasons. One, because of the fair use law. If I use uh, audio from something else, it has to be what they call legally transformative, where it's not like I'm just playing what they said that I've got to take what they say and it's got to be transformed into something completely different. Well, as much as I break in, clearly it's transformative. So that's one of the reasons I do that. So, but let's, I want you to just hear this again. I, I know many of you are going to be agreeing with this. You're going to be like, amen, I believe in these tests. Well, again, then if you're going to say obedience and doing good things and holiness is the test, if you convince yourself that you're doing all of that, what you have to do is convince that you're doing it enough. In other words, it's not doing, it's only doing some good things. It's not being obedient. It's being kind of obedient. It's not being holy. It's, it's trying to be holy. See, you, you state the test in one way, but then you grade it like on a curve. Well, you're not going to be perfectly obedient. You're not going to be perfectly good and you're not going to be perfectly holy. Okay, but that could still be sufficient enough to prove you're saved. So imperfection can prove that I'm saved based off a test that clearly seems to demand perfection. You see, it's just, and then quote scripture, which clearly is demanding perfection. It it, it just becomes a convoluted mess that any reasonable person is going to be like, forget this whole, this whole, you people don't know what you're talking, just forget it all. 
which leads to people deconstructing because they're like, you're telling me I can't, that the only way I know that I'm saved is if I do all of these things and I never do all of these things. So clearly I'm not saved or clearly Christianity doesn't work because they don't even in their mind understand that they're saved by an imputed righteousness, not by what they do or don't do. It's just, this destroys the entire gospel. Let's go through this again preposition. After that, there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing to be obedient because we are saved. Not to be saved, but to prove that we are saved, we're going to do stuff in obedience. Number three, the necessity of holiness. Gulp, Hebrews 12, 14, Rexella. Strive for peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In other words, if you're going to see God, you're holy, not perfect, but growing in holiness. You're becoming more and more like the Savior if you are saved. Number four. See, and that, that, do you not just see the complete contradiction in that? He quotes a scripture that says, without holiness, no one sees the Lord. And then he says, that doesn't mean perfection. You just got to grow in holiness. Okay, how much growth in holiness is required? And again, are you going to judge the growth in holiness by external actions or by internal attitudes and desires and feelings. I mean, and the fact that they're, you're going to throw this test out, I think you would need to do a lot of explanation of each one because you're just going to leave people going, you know, forget it. Any reasonable person at this point would have already just turned off the television and said, I'm going to hell. It's, I'm done. I'm finished. It doesn't, I, I believe in Jesus, but clearly I'm, I'm, I'm going to hell. Clearly I'm going to hell. Clearly. Because, because anyone would be like, well, I'm not holy. I'm not, per I'm nowhere close to perfectly obedient. I don't always do good things. Again, sometimes the good I want to do, I don't do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Obedient? I, I'm, I'm, I'm partially obedient at best. And God seems to imply that if I break one point of the law, I'm guilty of all of it. So I'm always in a, some perpetual state of disobedience because I'm disobeying something. And I'm nowhere close to holy. Holy is some universe that I can't even see in the best telescope. It's something so far removed from me that I can't even comprehend it or understand it. The only glimpse of holiness I can get is when I look to God. And when I see God, I realize if that's holiness, woe is me, I am undone. If holiness is the standard, I'm going to hell, which is the whole point of law. And grace steps in and says, you would go to hell. But here is the holiness, which I demand. Here is the obedience, which I demand. Here is the goodness, which I demand. And it's imputed to your account by faith alone. I, I thought that was the gospel, but I, I think in some cases we should just go back to Roman Catholicism. I mean, I think sometimes we're better Catholics than Catholics are. The necessity to forgive others, Matthew 6. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Okay, here we go. So now you got to forgive others. So if you have any unforgiveness in your heart, you're not saved. So, to, so, so look at the, how this would work. Here's a woman comes to you. I was brutally raped by my uh, father or my stepfather. And I am filled with bitterness and rage and unforgiveness. Well, I'm very sorry to hear that. I'm also sorry to tell you that you're going to die and go to hell because unless you forgive, you're not saved. Now, I do believe the Sermon on the Mount 
gives these demands. You must do this. And I realize that in me, I cannot do them. They are law passages, law which says, do this, do this, do this. But I know this, in Christ, Christ forgives. Christ is the one who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's the one who did not strike back. He forgives. He loves perfectly. So in Christ, there is forgiveness. Now, I should forgive. I am called to forgive. But at any moment in time, the best forgiveness I can offer is usually never perfect because the forgiveness that arises from within me comes from within a heart that also continues to have sin. So I can remember having to stand at my mother's grave as a teenager, because my mother died when I was young, and tried to forgive her for all of the horrible things that transpired in our family. Now, I think I did a halfway decent job. I think I let it go, and I think I moved on with my life. It did not create, you know, years of, of bitterness and living in the past. So I think there was some release, but man, there's still some times. If I talk to my brother or if I talk to my sister and certain things from the past will come up or some of the, the I mean, my sister, wow. I mean, she was really little when my mother died. I was seven years old, eight years of age. And then everything that happened afterwards, I mean, her life was became a total train wreck. Now, I make no excuse for, for everything that happened to her. I mean, man, she, she got herself in mess, drugs, and alcohol. Praise God, she's made a profession of faith. She's been baptized. She's now been clean for a year. So praise God for that. But she went through, in some cases, almost a living hell. And I'm not going to say it's all because of everything that happened to her when she was little, but it definitely contributed. And when I see everything that happened to her, it makes me kind of mad at my father, who's, who also passed away years ago, and my mother, who, of course, died when I was a teenager. Um, it, it, it can bring back some bad feelings. Well, so then I go, well, man, I'm struggling with, I don't know if I've completely forget. Well, you know, you're not saved. And I said, well, no, it, it's not like that. Well, what is it like then? No, my salvation is dependent on whether I forgive or don't forgive. So I've got to constantly be looking at my life to make sure that the level of forgiveness is there. And I don't know, I don't know 10 years from now, 15 years from now, whenever I get close to my, I'm laying on my deathbed, I don't know what's going to have happened between then, now and then that I have some unforgiveness in my heart and then I die and go to hell because that supposedly proves that I'm not saved. But I know this in Christ Jesus I perfectly forgive everyone because Christ perfectly forgives. This just destroys the gospel of grace. Let's see if we can go further here. Because you've been forgiven so much, you forgive other people. I know there's a lot of people who would say, well, they have to repent first. I kind of think, you know, I was forgiven so much. I could happily forgive somebody who's done something bad to me because I appreciate what was done for me. Do you forgive people when they do you wrong? That could be a country song. Alrighty, number five. Of course, make a little joke there. Yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing funny about this. There's no joking here, right? Because we're dealing with people's eternal destination, right? And so when you make forgiveness a prerequisite for salvation, now you say, no, 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 no. You forgive because you're saved. Yes, but if I don't forgive, then I'm not saved. So therefore, you can play all the games. You're just going in a circle. It's still a prerequisite. There's nothing funny about it. It's not a country song. It's people's eternal destiny. 
And you just told people, hey, if you don't forgive, now I do believe I should forgive because I have been forgiven. But I, my motivation to forgive is the mercy of God, the grace of God, not because if I don't, I prove that I'm not saved and I got to constantly be looking at the, It's just, it's just this, these would be the thing, this would literally, I feel like what I'm listening to is a, a Catholic argument for a justification by works is really what I feel like I'm listening to, not within Protestant reformed world, but this is what shows up in a good portion of, of evangelical Christianity, even within some elements of the reform world. And I'm like, the reform world, we're the ones who like, no, imputed righteousness versus in read the Westminster Confession or the London Baptist Confession on justification. We are justified by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. Imputed righteousness does not make me righteous in practice. It declares me to be perfectly righteous. Then my, the Christian life is then me striving to live out the reality of that position, the reality of that imputed righteousness in practice. However, it will always be imperfect. There will be sin. It will be corruption and there's going to be failure and it's going to be ups and down and it's never going to be perfect. But see, people get nervous about that because it's like, oh, so you're just telling people can live any way they want. They shouldn't live any way they want, but their salvation is not dependent on what they do. It's all perfectly purchased by what Christ did. And if what Christ did isn't sufficient, because I have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, or I'm not saved, it seems to be that works are required for salvation. Now, I do believe works are required for salvation. I absolutely believe work is required for salvation. And I absolutely believe I'm going to be judged according to my works. Either my works or the works that's been imputed to me by Christ, which are now considered my works because they've been imputed to me. So yes, works are required. It's just not the works I do. It's the works that Christ did that are given to me by faith. They're imputed to me by faith. So I do believe works are required, absolutely, but it's the work of Christ that's been imputed to my account. All right, let's see if we can go a little bit further here. Five, the necessity not to live according to the flesh, Galatians 5, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You find yourself desiring something and you kill it. Because you're a Christian. Do you? Remember what we're doing here. Taking a Piper 15-point test to see if you are actually in the faith. Number six. We'll stop right there. So number five. You don't live according to the flesh. You get that fleshly desire. Boom. You immediately kill it. Right, that's seeming. He just seemed to imply perfection. Like uh, there's that desire I kill. You never indulge the flesh. You never follow the flesh. You never follow the desires of the flesh. And if you do, if, and you do this because you're saved, implying if you don't do it, therefore you're not saved. So Christians, this is what Christianity should look like for 2000 years. People who are obedient, people who do good, uh, people who are holy, uh, people who don't follow the, the, uh, desires of the flesh. All of these things would be what is supposedly absolutely and every Christian, and if and if they don't do this, they're not saved. Well, I'm sorry, you just basically eliminated 
I, I will argue you've eliminated 99.9% of Christians. And you say, well, no. Well, then maybe that's the case. The road is narrow. And I, and I know, let me guess, you're on it. Okay, congratulations. You're on it. The people who always throw these tests out, they always think that they're on it. They always think that they're great. They always think that they have. And then whenever you can see clear issues, like, well, what about that one? You're, you're not holy. You're, you're not obedient. I've seen all kinds of, you don't do good. What are you talking about? You, you don't do these things. You don't forgive. What are you talking about? You, I see you walking, walking according to the desires of the flesh all the time. You point out all of the, and they'll make, nope, 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 nope. It's not about perfection. It's about just going in the right direction. They'll make 900 excuses. No, if this is the test, don't make an excuse. Either pass it or acknowledge you're not saved. But no, the pe- people always think that they pass it. I, I, it's fascinating. I used to think the same way. I used to think, I, man, I do all that. I don't know what everyone else's problem is. I can do this. And then I started realizing I'm a liar. I'm, I'm, make, I'm living make-believe Christianity. There's enough garbage in me. And then I realized, man, Instead of looking to what I do, I need to look to what Christ did. And what he did, he did it perfectly. Now, we're going to stop right there. All right. The three minutes and 27 second mark. I, I need a pencil here. I need to write this down. What we'll do when we, the next time we do a broadcast, what we will do, we will, uh, we'll play the first three minutes and 27 seconds again, just so that everyone will, will that'll be our review. And then we'll, once we get to 327, we'll stop and then we'll, we'll build it from there. So question, are you really a Christian? Question, how do you know you're saved? You got two options. You look to yourself. You look to some arbitrary test. You decide if you pass the test or fail the test. Typically, you're going to be exalting your own behavior and your own righteousness, which is just ridiculous because you're just living a lie. But you're going to look to yourself. You're going to look to your own obedience, your own works, or or you're going to look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Those are two options. Now, look, I'm not here to debate you. By all means, if you want to look to your own righteousness, you look to it, you cling to it, you give it a test, you give the test to everyone else, and you, you can feel morally superior, and you can throw everyone out of the kingdom of God that you don't feel past your test. By all means, feel free to do that, Okay. Feel free to do that. To anyone else, if you ignore those people and look to the finished work of Jesus Christ, put your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work and his righteousness is imputed to you. You are justified by faith alone. You live it because of that faith in that righteousness. You live in that righteousness. That righteousness is yours. It cannot be removed. Nothing can change it. Your failures, your lack of living up to these standards that they're, that we're hearing does not in one way, shape, or form remove the imputed righteousness of Christ. By faith, you are in Jesus. Your actions do not remove him from the throne. It does not throw out his righteousness. It does not throw off his obedience. His obedience is yours by faith. Your failure, yes, it's sin. Yes, it has to be dealt with. Yes, it has to be confronted. Yes, you must turn from it. Yes, but it's not because it's going to destroy your 
relationship with God, that is determined by his work. It will greatly hinder your fellowship. It can greatly have major detrimental impact on your life. But you can't, you're in Christ Jesus. Your actions don't determine if you're in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus because of faith, because of salvation. And that salvation and that assurance, you should be motivated to live out your Christian life because of mercy, because of grace. You should be motivated by love. You should be motivated because of gratitude, not motivated that I've got to prove it. 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 I've got to prove I'm saved. You try that. You're just going to, well, if you're honest with yourself, you're going to find yourself completely discouraged, defeated, and possibly making TikTok videos about your deconstruction. There you go. You can email me your disagreements. To new- now, look, if you want to disagree, perfectly okay. Perfectly okay. Now, sometimes I receive some pretty, un- Here, here's what I would tell you to do. If you're going to email me and disagree, don't email me in such a way where your attitude, your pride, your arrogance, your act of, act, lack of love and compassion literally demonstrates that you're not even passing the test, which you think proves whether someone is. I've always find that interesting. Whenever I talk about this, someone will start ar- just arguing, getting all mad and getting all frustrated. They're just typing away. You're, you're an idiot. You're stupid. You're ungodly. You're going to. And, just, and you just want to go. You realize, I think you're failing the test. You're, you're, you're failing. If you're going to argue for the test, here's what I would say. You know how you argue for the test? You just pass the test and you keep passing it and you keep passing it so that when you die, you can say you passed the test. And hopefully when you get to heaven, Jesus will say you got in because you passed the test. And if that's what you're looking for, then that's the Christian life you want, feel free. There's a majority of evangelicalism will open you with with open arms. You've got You've got plenty of people to listen to. But for me, I'm going to stand before God, not because of what I've done. I'm going to hear good and faithful servant because I'm in Christ Jesus. And Jesus was that good and faithful servant. Jesus was the blessed man spoken of in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. He's the one who preached the sermon. He's the one who obeyed the sermon and his obedience is imputed to me. I'm going to stand before God in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand before God in the impu- covered in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand before God covered in his blood, his perfect righteousness, his obedience is uh, uh, imputed to me. That's the hope of my salvation. That's the hope of my salvation. And that's the proof of my salvation. That's the assurance of my salvation. That's the ground of my salvation. Not, oh, I did, I do this and I did this and I do this because even, even the best efforts are going to fall short and going to be corrupted by sin. And anyone who says different are just lying to themselves. So if you disagree, you can argue. Just don't prove that you're failing the very test you're arguing should be the test that I, that's going to somehow prove that I'm safe. You can try to argue all day that what's going to prove my salvation is your random test that you send to me. Fine, send it. But I'm still going to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ because whatever test you give me, I'm going to fail. Plain and simple.
And what you're going to do is you're going to send me passages of Scripture, and I'm going to be absolutely right. Those passages of Scripture give me law. And what the law demands, God's grace provides in the imputed righteousness of Christ. This distinction between law and grace, which is kind of the whole argument of the Protestant Reformation. But what do I know? Sometimes I'm like, I think we're all still Catholics, and we 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 forgot what the Reformation was about. But you know, well, you you can draw your own conclusion. All right, you can email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.